Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hi there, just jumping on to let you know that our next open programme, How to Be a Change Superhero, that I run personally, is almost full but we have a few more places it kicks off on the 4th of November 2021 so if you'd like to know a little bit more about that head over to the HR Uprising page and you'll be able to see a bit more information on the three module program it's all virtual it's highly personalized it includes one-to-one 360 feedback and coaching by me so if you'd like to work on really getting underneath the principles, the practical principles of change, then why don't you take a look at that? It's usually a really brilliant, engaging programme and I thoroughly enjoyed running it. So do take a look if you'd like to join us on this next cohort. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this is a very timely podcast because I am really pleased to have Nikki Eyre and Kathy Donaldson here from Conduct Change and obviously I'll get you guys to introduce um, Conduct Change in a moment but the topic we want to focus on is all about how to prevent workplace bullying and we're coming up to Workplace Bullying Awareness Week which is a, a, a week that I wasn't aware of until I had a conversation with you guys um, but it is something that I am conscious of in terms of workplace bullying um, in the many ways in which it can impact performance, engagement. Um, There's so many knock-ons, also inclusion, which are topics we've been looking at recently. So when you guys got in touch and mentioned that this is something that you're expert in, I was really keen to know more about it. So I think it's, it's a great topic for us to explore. So thanks for coming on. I'll hand over to you to introduce yourselves and maybe tell us a bit more about um, this particular week and, and what, it, what we mean by um, workplace bullying awareness. Nikki? Thank you, Lucinda. Um, yeah, I'm Nikki Eyre, founder of Conduct Change, and um, absolutely passionate about this subject in terms of the prevention of workplace bullying. But obviously, that does, as you say, it covers a lot of other areas. And our whole um, premise at Conduct Change is to transform behaviours in business and create those compassionate and courageous workplaces of the future. Um, Cathy, do you want to come in and introduce yourself there? Thank you. Yeah, so I'm an associate. I've been working with Nikki for about the last six months. And in particular, what, what are, uh, we're looking at is business outcomes, you know, the impact of behaviour, on the culture of an organization, the impact of culture on engagement, and then we, you know, what, what engagement means in terms of how a business's um, performance is measured. So yeah, so that's in a nutshell, that's what that's what we're looking at. 
And that's that's really relevant. Sorry, I'll come to you, Nikki, on that. I guess in terms of if we're HR professionals, as many of the audience are here trying to get this sort of thing taken seriously, understanding those business outcomes is is really useful in terms of taking some um, facts and figures, I guess, to to put some support and, and money behind this. So I'll perhaps come to you, Cathy, on some of those in a moment. Yeah, that's fine. I was just going to pick up the point about the Workplace Bullying Awareness Week, just to um, explain how that came about. Um, in the USA, there is a guy called Gary Namey, and he started by creating what he called Freedom from Workplace Bullying Week. He's an internationally renowned expert in this area. And um, over the last few years, other countries have started getting involved and this year, they're really trying to push the message out. And there's numerous different organizations, countries, sorry, across the world that have published posters all across LinkedIn. So do look out for that campaign as well. And just to keep it going as well, once we get to November, we'll also have Anti-Bullying Week in the UK. So we're not going to lose that momentum. So it's, it's coming up soon. Um, it's the 17th, 23rd of October. You said there's 10 countries signed up. Has, it, has the UK signed up? Well, how do you sign up as a country anyway? Or is it more about organisations? It's it's groups of people. What you find is there's an incredibly strong networks of people who are very passionate about this cause and um, wanting to make change. And so they've come forward and put a poster forward on behalf of their country. So, yes, we have a UK one and we've helped produce that and get that out onto LinkedIn, along with the Speak Up Collective as well. So, But there are many, many other people involved. And I think it's really important to recognise that this is a global issue. It's not something limited to the UK at all. And I suppose on this, just even taking this term bullying, I'm more aware of this maybe in terms of things like schools and zero tolerance to bullying and in, in, in that sort of area, having school-aged children. Um, I mean, is that the term for workplace as well? Or do you want to tell me a little bit about how you define it, maybe, Nikki? Yes, it's, well, it's quite difficult to define. And that's one of the issues around it. But there is no legal definition of bullying in the UK. What it actually covers is a huge spectrum of behaviours, different behaviours. And it's really important to say that just because you exhibit a bullying behaviour, it doesn't make you a bully instantly. But in terms of trying to define it, what you tend to find is that when people try and do it, they just come out with a list of behaviours. But the closest thing we've got to a definition is through ACAS. Um, and I'm just going to read it because they've changed it a little bit on their website recently. So bullying is behaviour from a personal group that's unwanted. And that's a really key word there, unwanted, and makes you feel uncomfortable, including feeling frightened or intimidated, less respected or put down or degraded. You're made fun of and it makes you feel uncomfortable or humiliated or you're feeling upset, insulted, or offended. So you can feel all of those, but it's very much related to unwanted conduct and the way it makes you feel. So it's about the impact on the individual. Just to put that into context a little bit compared to harassment or harassment, however you prefer to say it, um, that is unwanted conduct related to a relevant protected characteristic. So, and that is really about violating an individual's dignity. That is a definition in legislation because that sits in the Equality Act. And then we have the term victimization, which is basically anybody who is treated differently um, as a result of supporting somebody 
or people believe that they've supported somebody in terms of a harassment complaint. So quite different areas, but all very, very interlinked. And it's interesting you say that because after in September, we did a series of um, podcasts and webinars all about equality, diversity, inclusion. And for me, there's a, I, well, it, it, there's definitely a quite big overlap there, isn't it? But I guess, I guess some of the unwanted behaviours might, might also be examples of, I don't know what anti-inclusive, I don't know what the terminology is. Unless, are they overlapped? Would you actually use um, bullying or, harass, or harassment if you were, um, what's the opposite of diversity and inclusion? I say not being inclusive. It, it, it is kind of that, isn't it? Yeah. Excluding people, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a really clear link there. And actually, that exclusion is can be, you know, real bullying behaviours. If you're putting someone out of the social group, if you're putting them out of the workplace community, if you're stopping them having information, if you're, um, you know, keep even not bringing somebody in on the tea break, it's all bullying behaviour. And so absolutely, that inclusion is a really key part of breaking those habits and breaking those patterns and a really key part of psychological safety as well tell me so you said bringing people in on their tea break then did you if somebody is if someone's cut out of the tea so you're asking everyone in the office if they want a cup of tea but you're leaving one person out of oh it. right 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 yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah so you're <laughs> you are excluding somebody else yeah. they're having yeah. a tea break and you're bringing them in because well actually my, my brain was going with all of this sort of stuff just um not really playing a devil's advocate, but more thinking on the, the, the point of being a line manager um, and managing performance or managing people in a certain way is, is making sure that get, you get that balance. So because, because okay, flipping it over, where I've worked with particularly public sector organisations and they've had um, issues where there's, there have been problems with bullying and harassment, they've put real detailed cultural exploration into it and, and they can see there are issues. Um, but then the challenge also is when when managers are legitimately trying to turn performance around or turn behavior around and that person may not be performing and they may not be fully bullied, um, it, then they raise grievance. So it is an interesting, there's a kind of, diff, it's a difficult one for organizations to get to grips with in terms of managing performance positively, I guess, and supportively. I don't know if you've got an observation on that. It was, it was not really a question there. So if you could turn it into something useful, Nikki, that'd be helpful. <laughs> yeah, and I think what I'll do is I will start and just allow Cathy to pick up from me here because um, absolutely, if somebody is being bullied, then um, they can you know, really suffer in terms of their mental health psychologically to the point of trauma. And obviously that will affect their performance. And if you are performance managing them at that stage, then that's going to be really damaging. But the other flip side of that are the people who will perhaps say, um, you know, you're trying to performance manage them and they try and turn it round and really push back with a, oh, I feel like you're bullying me. Yeah. And, and Kathy, I think with some of your skills in terms of leadership development and, and do, you know, working with managers, I think that'd be a really good point for you to pick up there. Yeah, and I think there's a real difference, isn't it? And I think the first thing is, is what is, we talked about is a wide spectrum of behaviours. I think where we get an overlap is what's managing performance. And that's about where people are responding to a performance management process, which is about, you know, from a sales experience, how many clients have you seen? How many customers have you made presentations to? How many deals have you closed? As opposed to, 
And certainly what I've seen managers do and experience myself is, you know, an outdated management style, which is you need to put your socks up. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to fire you. And, and, there's the, and that's the difference, isn't it? It's about um, a management style being factually based on yes. performance rather than personally based on behaviours and, 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 and where... Opinion about the person. It's about their activities, their behaviours and their activities as opposed to the person whether they're a good or bad person, that's, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I think, and, and so for me, and in, and in all of the management and leadership development that I've done over the years, it's the, it's the, it's the management style which can be, if not handled well, misinterpreted as bullying. And that's when you then have to go to the facts. What was said, how was it managed? Mm. Um, you know, we all, we've all experienced good and bad managers in the workplace, and it's the ones that can be really, you know, this is the performance, this is the expectation, and this is the gap. That's managing performance. Just saying, you know, you need to pull your socks up it is is not managing performance, and that's and that's I think where the differences lie. Mm, okay, and I, I've got to ask. I mean, I'm assuming that both of you. What, what makes you both passionate about this topic? Is this something you've experienced directly, or that you've um, observed in others? as to why you, this is something you feel so strongly about? So certainly from my perspective, I um, did experience it for myself and it had a really devastating impact on me. And that's psychologically, physically, um, emotionally, my behaviours changed and financially as well. And it took me a long, long time to recover from that. But part of my recovery was about learning more about what had happened and understanding it. And I've been really fortunate that I've been able to turn that round and turn that into a real growth experience. And then actually started using that information, that experience being, I was already a um, trainer and a coach. So I started using that to help others. So that's um, kind of where my passion for it comes from. And it's also been fueled completely by the amazing people that I've met along the way on this journey, um, the people that have come along and, and helped me. So like Kathy, like the advisory board that's been working with me for the last two years, some incredible, incredible people out there as well. So, yeah, that's where my passion comes from. So you experienced you experienced it, and, but then your kind of recovery was um, reflecting on what caused it in terms and, and without missing going specifically, but was it about your behavior or the behavior of the the bully or a combination were there any some any sort of salient learnings that you could share with the audience it's it's very interesting for me to look back and realize how much my own behaviors changed because of a very early incident of bullying um, a refusal to admit that I could be bullied as well. And I was in quite a senior position and I felt that once I did get to the stage where I spoke up and said I was being bullied, that I had to fight. I had to fight for not just for myself, but for everybody else and to make sure that it didn't happen to anybody else. What happened was I fought for so long that basically my body gave up. Yeah, really down. Yeah. So if you'd been yeah. listened, so had the organisation or someone listened to you, you'd felt listened to earlier on, would that have been a different experience? Um, it is quite interesting because actually I don't think I would have spoken up earlier on because I just felt like it, it couldn't possibly be real and it couldn't be happening to me. Uh, but I think what you've picked up on there is something really, really important. And that is that the formal processes 
are really not fit for purpose and they're incredibly damaging for people who go through them and not just on my side as somebody who felt bullied but actually a lot of people that are involved so the alleged bully people who are bystanders and witnesses people involved in the case it has a devastating impact across an organization so formal processes would be grievances. Sorry, just I'll, I'll come to you. Uh, it, that would be having to go through a sort of formal grievance as opposed to informally talk to somebody and it being resolved amicably. Kind of yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and and being believed, I think, is really key as well. Sorry, Cathy. That's okay. I was going to say, from my experience, actually, it's interesting having been in and around grievance processes where people have been. So I've been accused and had a grievance raised against me about being a bully. I have investigated bullying and grievance claims in organisations and worked with HR in that process. I've witnessed bullying behaviours in the workplace, going back to Nikki's definition. I've also been through the process recently myself in terms of being bullied out of my job with no performance you know, issues just because my face seemingly didn't fit so I've kind of I've, I've kind of seen the broad spectrum of it and actually going back to Nikki's point about processes aren't fit for purpose because actually what we're doing is we're moving in every single instance what we did is we put a, um, the target of bullying in the hot seat and we conducted what feels like can feel like almost a criminal investigation because you have witnesses you have an mm. investigator you have an investigation you have an appeal and actually what was really interesting is the work that I've been doing with Nikki over the last six months. A lot of the people that have been through this process, either as a bully or have been witnesses to it or have seen it, actually hardworking, dedicated, loyal employees who have got clashing personalities, toxic cultures, whatever it might be, that something's going wrong somewhere in terms of the interpersonal dynamic with people in the workplace. And that's the bit that's affecting business outcomes, mental health, diversity and inclusion, psychological safety in the workplace. So for me, it's not just about looking at the target of the bullying behaviours, it's about the impact on you know, the human-centric and the people-centric organisations that organisations are so desperate to build because they put it into their values, but actually unwittingly perhaps will be falling into bullying behaviours that are making people feel undervalued and victimized etc etc so there's so there's a it's, a it's a huge minefield but what, what we recognize is that more and more people are coming forward and going oh yeah that was my experience at the workplace and rather than take it on and go through the grievance process I left and that's the bit that's a shame because you're not picking up on the damage that's actually being created when actually there's there's different ways of managing people in the workplace. And I guess you're saying there, Cathy, is, is that um, if it, it's not just a loss of talent of someone opting with their feet, if it's a systemic problem, so if it is a toxic yeah. culture or a management, so, so therefore it becomes, it's going to perpetuate, it's just the next person that gets it um, in terms yeah. of that. Yeah, and, 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 you look at, and you look at the way that, you know, people will be venting their spleen about their experience on Glassdoor or yeah. Indeed. So it will damage your reputation and your brand. We know some very high profile brands have been exposed in the media recently for toxic and bullying workplace cultures and investors then shy away and potential employees shy away. And, you know, people then don't feel um, free to speak up if they've seen other people 
um, experiencing really rough treatment at the hands of, a, a, of an organisation. So, yeah, it, it is, it is a, a big issue, um, which I think, you know, needs to be to be sort of brought out into the open. So is it is it a bigger issue than it used to be or are we just more aware? Is it actually growing? What's the view here? Nikki, should I go through some of the, the stats and then you can tell me whether it's growing or not? Yes, go for it, go for it, yes. So, this, so CIPD did a, um, a release something earlier this year that basically said that the cost of um, conflict in the workplace, which includes bullying, harassment and victimisation, is about £28 billion pounds a year, billion pounds a year in terms of lost productivity, lost working hours, sickness, impact of um, stress, impact on the NHS, you know, of people being off with work-related stress, 28.5 billion pounds. And that roughly equates to about a thousand pounds per everybody employed in the UK. So it is, so there's a lot of things that are mixed up. It is, it's huge. So if you've got an organisation and you're employing 250 people, for example, you know, quarter of a million pounds worth of your turnover could be just managing conflict. Um, and I think that, that that's the bit that, you know, everybody goes, ah, now that's the big number. I hadn't quite realised the impact of it. Whether it's growing or not, I don't know. I need Nikki to answer that. What I do know is that there's growing momentum and awareness about the people, that, you know, how people are treated in the workplace. And that's the bit that's definitely growing um in in prominence because we you know we need to look after our people and i think you're absolutely right there um when you're talking about the, the figures there that 28.5 billion was based on um having a look at some statistics from the cipd that came out in january 2020 and that showed that 27 percent of the workforce had experienced bullying or harassment which is a you know it's a significantly high number is it on the increase? Well, it's actually quite hard to tell. I would say it probably isn't on the increase, but more people are becoming aware and speaking up about it. And so therefore the question is being asked more often, for example, in employee surveys, if people feel bullied. Um, so therefore people are answering it. Whether they are answering it with the full education of what bullying really is, is something that we need to really bottom out with that. Um, those figures. But just to give you an idea around some different sectors, um, National Health Service, their level of bullying has been at around 25% um, for several years. And even though it's at that level, they're still not really prioritising it as an area to look at. Um, the film and TV industry have done some incredible research recently. Um, the film and TV charity have a survey on their website, the Glassdoor survey, and basically it showed that about nine in 10 people felt they'd experienced um, workplace bullying or harassment. Nine, those, nine out of 10. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the people working behind the scenes. I've got a really um, high problem in terms of mental health and suicide in that sector so they're actually doing some incredible work at the moment to try and really turn that around in the industry there's a lot going on there charity sector as well um, Akiva which is the association of chief executives um, and voluntary organizations they did a report called in plain sight 
and that talks about um, the bullying in the charity sector and a lot of that comes from chief executives in the charity sector particularly where they are the founder and they it's you know their baby they've grown it and then it's got bigger and bigger um, but also you know it's a complex sector there's quite often a lot of mergers um, people being stupid across from different projects as well and we have a, an amazing case study on our website which actually wasn't about bullying behavior but it was about saying as a charity we've grown we've got people coming in from all different directions we've got all these different pockets of culture and actually let's get ahead of the curve on this one let's get in and do some work so that we're all working together and know what behaviors are expected before it can lead to bullying behaviors so that's a real positive example of not waiting for it to happen. So it's, it's, okay, so that's really interesting. My brain was ticking away there at, at what could possibly be the cause, in particularly in the NHS and charity sectors. Because if you think the people who work in the NHS and charities have got to be the most on-purpose people that they've got to be passionate about what they're there to do. You don't work in the NHS for a salary. I mean, maybe at the very top, but most people. Don't, they don't do it with the pay. So you kind of think well, that what's going on there as to why there's such a high um well report rate, certainly an interesting that it wasn't an HS um trust that I was working with that had that problem when I when they, they were looking at it um culturally as to what the cause was of bullying and harassment. Have you got a, a hypothesis as to to why it appears to be high there relative to other? I'm assuming it is relative to private sector. Um yeah, I think my kind of theory of private versus public, uh, and this is just my theory, is that actually in the private sector, people are more likely to move quickly. And so they will vote with their feet. In the public sector, as you say, people go in because they're very purpose driven. They are there for those, um, you know, they're, they're value driven in the way they choose that career. And so they're thinking more about the, the patient, the beneficiary, than they are perhaps about themselves a lot of the time. Um, what can happen? I have um, an ambassador for the, the charity side who is um, works in the NHS as a AE nurse. And he actually he kind of sits middle management, but he says it what you see is this enormous pressure coming down from the top. And it just gets passed down and passed down. You've then got pressure from patients coming up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not necessarily the behaviour of patients, but the quantity as well. Mm -hmm. And so when all of those pressures come together, people's behaviours change and they're not coping. And that's a huge part of it. That's a huge part so it's of actually, it. It's actually, you're talking, what you're really, again, systemic problem, it's potentially a stress behaviour of the organisation having unrealistic, unachievable yeah circumstances and I and I guess in that situation where you desperately care so if you're in financial services for argument's sake you know oh well, well they've given me an unrealistic target whatever I'll go and get a job somewhere else whereas actually if you desperately care about the well-being of your pa patients or the charity that you're supporting and it's unrealistic and and, and the other thing that strikes me particularly about the NHS is that it's always a moving feast. So there's always something outside muddling them around. So the clarity whereas private sector generally will certainly well-managed private sector organisations will have very clear goals and objectives. People understand how they fit within the organisation and probably have a more clear hierarchy as well in the NHS. Half the time people don't know who manages them. Um, so maybe a lot of these things would play into um, increase the chances of it, I guess. 
they're a huge employer um, and we're working with some some academics who've got you know quite a lot of inside track into some of the stuff that's going on but you also think you know you work in the private sector it's not necessarily life and death you know the yeah. profit and loss is, is going to be an issue when next year's or next quarter's results will be a big issue if you've missed them but actually the NHS is life and death and that yeah. therefore has got to add a level of yeah. stress because it is about you know the human being at the end of it yeah. so. and people's values are very strongly aligned with it as opposed to just their pay packets I guess uh, absolutely and they absolutely but by the same token you've also got the exact same thing of people get promoted because they're good at their job it doesn't mean they're going to be a good manager and they don't get that training that emotional intelligence development that would really help them be a good manager in those situations so again it's that the businesses need to invest in their people to allow them to manage in a really positive way Mm-hmm. that Support will then and train them, yeah, and give them the time. yeah yeah and yeah, give them the time yeah. to manage properly and the time yes. to actually invest in people management and, and those side of things um so those are all patterns aren't they that you that have been here for a long time and you can totally see how it how it adds on um the film and tv one i'm still at nine out of ten i'm you said they were doing some really exciting things anything that you could give an example that's repeatable that in terms of what how they're trying to address this 90 percent They've, um, the film and charity, um, film and TV charity have created a whole directory of resources. They've got a bullying helpline so that actually, because there was a lot of freelancers in the industry, so they don't necessarily have anywhere to go. So they've now got a um, counsellor that can actually take calls from people who are struggling and they can book appointments with her free of charge. The British Film Institute and BAFTA have um, produced some guidelines for the industry as well. There's much more going on. Check out their website to really get a look at kind of things Mm. that they're doing there. So it's going to take a long time. It's a huge and complicated sector. But the way that they've started is really great as an example of, you know, tackling it head on. And, then, and I suppose just carrying on, in fact, it'd be good to look more at any other sort of takeaways. We always like to look at the takeaways. And I remember we talked about charters and things when we were talking on the pre thing for this. It'd be good to hear some of the recommendations you have. But um, maybe just going back to you, Cathy, and the, the, the sort of the evidence for the, the, the impact, the invisible costs that we're seeing of this sort of thing. So if we really need to take this seriously, I mean, it, it, you, you do want to take it seriously because it's people's mental health, et cetera. But going back to our pay packet or bottom line and how do we convince people to see this as important, not just nice. Any any other sort of you, you referred to ACAS, didn't you, earlier, Cathy? Do you want to share some of those to the listeners? Yeah, so I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the HR leaders that we talk to, you know, how much time are they spending managing conflict? How much of their time is reactive to oh no somebody's just kicked off again or there's a manager over there that nobody wants to work with and so that we've got to put some development in place for them so a lot of HR's time is is in that reactive place and so what we're trying to do is help the, the work that we do is help HR managers become more proactive so it's thinking about okay so when we talk about the values and being people first and you know customer centric what does that actually mean in terms of the human experience of the workplace, what would acceptable and unacceptable behaviours be? How would, what does conduct look like in our organisation? Because that, what we can do is we can bring about awareness. So certainly, you know, a lot of managers, managers that we work with are saying, well, I don't know, I'm now worried about having a tough conversation with one of my direct reports because they might accuse me of being a bully. And it's yeah. okay, so how do we 
help them navigate using emotional intelligence, using psychological safety? How do we help them understand how to have conversations which are about performance, but don't trip into some of these behaviors where it's not, it's not the appropriate conduct for the culture of this organization. So I think, so for me, a lot of the hidden costs in organizations is about HR's time managing grievance processes, but then the fallout of that in terms of what that means in, in brand, but also in the fascinating study that was done by Georgetown um, uh, university professor Christine Porath, who said 25% of people that are experiencing having a negative experience of the workplace admit that they take that frustration out on their customers. So if 25% of people who are dissatisfied with the experience that they're having are then inadvertently taking that out on customers, what's that doing to your bottom line? And how do you measure that? And how do you know that? And I think this is some of the challenges that we that we we just don't we know that there are grievances we know that there are you know reactive things that HR are involved with and we know that we've got some unhappy customers so let's start having a look at okay so what's the root cause here how are we treating our employees and how are they in turn treating their your customers and I think if that's the bit that we can then get to we can then start you know chipping away at behaviours and conduct in the workplace. I guess it's going to link to the engagement piece, isn't it? That's the you knock on there that you become disengaged. Uh, psychological safety. This is referenced an awful lot at the moment, this, this um, term. And as a psychologist, I still sometimes think, what, what do we mean by this in this, con- in this context? Do you want to give me a bit more? What am I doing as a line manager if I'm protecting your psychological safety or, or not? I think the really key thing about psychological safety is that knowing that you are able to be vulnerable in the workplace, and by that I mean you can ask a question, you can say I don't know, you can admit that you've made a mistake, and instead of being punished for that, you're rewarded for it. So it's creating that environment where people feel really safe to speak up. And when you look at, um, there's a lot of you know campaigns in workplaces about being able to speak up but that is still putting the onus on something going wrong and people Mm. being able to speak up about it what we want is for people to be able to speak up all the time and to be able to challenge each other in a really safe way so that actually you can have that incredible debate you can have the, that creativity that comes out of those conversations that will drive the innovation in the business. It will drive the competitiveness. But if you are crushing that by, you know, if when somebody speaks up, you're cutting, cutting them, them down. down. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you're taking the credit for other people's work or, or something like that. You know, those kind of things. Then you are just destroying the psychological safety in that environment. And, and I think it's quite different to the mental health agenda. Uh, and I think sometimes people are kind of, because of the word psychological, yeah. they're, they're bringing them in together. Obviously, if you've got psychological safety, then the chances are the mental health in that organisation is going to be better anyway. Yeah, the strike strikes me is also from your definition, then I can see, okay, if you have low psychological safety, and you experience bullying, then your mental health will suffer long term. But actually, um, psychological safety there, I do lots of work with with financial services, and, and they FCA talk about risk. So it, it will also prevent risk, won't it? If you feel it's not, and it's better than whistleblowing, because whistleblowing is when things are going wrong. It's actually, yeah. I, this, I think this, I've got a bit of a concern here. I'm not sure if this is right for the customer. That can, That's quite a key area if you feel able to speak up and not get slapped down 
yeah, yeah. And also people will bring ideas forward. And so they'll say, this isn't working properly. Why don't we try it this way? And suddenly a really small change can have a huge impact. Yes, they, they so think it's I, worthwhile in trying to improve, yeah. being part of it, trying to improve things. Yeah. Yeah, so Google, so, so Google, Google did a study over a two-year period, and I think they polled about 84 of their teams worldwide. And the number one determinant of their high-performing teams was the presence of psychological safety, in that the people in those teams felt included. They felt that they could learn in a safe environment. They felt that they could contribute and be valued for the contribution, but also felt that they could challenge the status quo. Um, so there's quite a lot of fascinating research that's come out of Google in terms of it's not about just being safe to speak up if things are going wrong. It's about sharing ideas and innovation and creativity in that safe space. Because, you know, you, as Nikki said, if you if you feel that you can be vulnerable and just say, look, I've got this good idea and know that you're not going to be slapped down for it. That's where some of the, the real high performance comes out at an organisational and at a team mm-hmm. level definitely see that so in terms of uh if we were going to try and put something in place in our organizations in terms of if, if you're working with an organization and whether they are whether you know i guess wherever they are i don't know whether you benchmark where they are and then you do it what, what, what would you do to help help organizations prevent bullying and harassment or or improve it if they do have it so i think the the first thing to say is that there is no quick fix you need to take a holistic organizational view of this it's not an HR problem it's a multidisciplinary team problem and um, so what we would do is we would go in and start by having a look at the current behaviors in the organization not just in terms of have they got bullying but actually have they got clarity about the um expectations of behaviours in the workplace. Do those behaviours align with the values and the purpose of the organisation? And if they don't, then what can we do to keep adjusting that and keep adjusting it? And the thing that is really important is that you're going to have to try lots and lots of different things because there is no one um, you know, magic wands that will just solve this problem. And it will be different for different organisations and, and different for different sectors as well. And so actually it has to be quite a bespoke approach. Um, but I think what's really, really important is that there are things like psychological safety assessments that can be done. You can have um, emotional intelligence coaching and we have an assessment model that we use there as well for individuals where they need that extra support. But what's really, really important is that you are constantly measuring that impact and reviewing it. And one of the key things that we do is we say, well, actually, if you're looking at risk management as a board, you should have behavioral risk management in there because behaviors are the most powerful element of your organization. Um, behaviors or conduct drives culture and culture drives engagement and if you want an engaged workforce and a profitable bottom line then go to your behaviors first so we would put key behavioral indicators in and say to the board you need to be keeping an eye on these and where it's showing that they're not aligning to your values and purpose then you need to be making adjustments it's not an initiative it's a different way of working I think that's what's really important there. 
Kathy, have I missed anything? No, I think the only thing that I was going to add to that would be about lots of organisations talk about values and culture, but don't actually say what does that look like? What does that mean in practice? So, you know, any organisation will have people first, trust, honesty, integrity and respect, for example, is some of their core values. Mm. But what they don't do is say what that means is we see you practising this and what we don't see is this. And actually, that for me is the bit where we get misalignment of clarity of expectations because people interpret trust and respect or people-centered cultures or whatever it is in very different ways. And so organizations need to then think about, well, what does that mean in practice? What does that look like from a behavioral perspective rather than just being five or six things that's put up on the wall um, in the office, for example? So it's and 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 that's where you then get the deep dive into behavioral alignment with everything that then the, the business is trying to achieve it's interesting that one um because obviously if my performance management hat's on you can in theory integrate it into your performance management processes and talk Completely. about these things and values and there's lots of ways you can introduce values the risk is you can still end up with it being a tick box if they fill those processes as tick box and and i and what i have seen is i think you have to keep them fresh and get people talking about what does it really look like um, on quite a regular basis, almost like where we are now. Well, we're going into hybrid environment. What does what do these values look like when we're working in a hybrid? You know, compared to how we were working pre-COVID, and and to, to actually keep them alive, to get people to own them and and explain their experiences in that way potentially. If you see any, do you see any changes going into hybrid? I think one of the well, there there are different elements, aren't there? There are some people who would look at hybrid and say, actually, um, you know, we all take up the same space on a screen, and therefore we're much more equal in that environment than we are when you know the chief executive's got his big office in the corner and we're sitting in our desk on the other side of the building. Um, there are other people who have perhaps had a very difficult working environment who have appreciated being able to be out of that physically. However, where that potentially has been um, brought into the remote environment so that they've had perhaps much more intense meetings because we know how much more intense it is online. If you are there and your alleged bully is there as well, then you've obviously got a much more intense, you can't hide from them. There's no escape. You can't sit at one, you know, the other end of the table or anything like that. And, and some of the, you know, the poor behaviours can continue in the same way, you know, cutting across people in meeting, multi-screening, um, sharing text messages with other people while you're on the call. So they all start laughing at someone and the rest of you don't know what's going on. All of those kind of things, you know, they can go on online just as much as well, in the physical yeah, space. I, mean, you could be more I think you could be more isolated if you don't have a great relationship with your line manager and their communication style, let's say by instant messenger or, you know, by, you know, the whole thing, you lose a lot of the person, even, even if they don't mean to be bullying, they might write stuff in a different way. And if you're just getting that on your own, you're on your own in the house and you haven't got your, you know, social support, your mates at work, then I suppose you can be even more isolated if you feel, um, yeah. feel that way. In some and it absolutely cuts those boundaries out as well between work and home. You can't close the door on it. Yeah. And yeah. um, so even though, you know, you might be taking it home in your head, you had that physical safety in your home. And yet now they're coming through the screen into your home as well. 
Um, however, having said that, there are some really good examples as well. So there are groups who are really making extra effort to have um, what I call the corridor conversations, the water cooler conversations. They make time for that within their groups. They're, they're spending time getting to know each other. They're reaching out to people and saying, you know, are you okay? You haven't had your camera on for the last two meetings. Is there anything we can help mm. you with? So there are some real positives. But yes, you have to work harder because you have lost a lot of those nuances of communication, most definitely. But again, it's, you know, it's going to take some settling down for people to work out, you know, the going back into the office or not and how people are feeling about that um, and how businesses really approach the whole idea of do we really embrace this hybrid working environment? So, again, it's so much an organisational issue as well as an individual issue. We all have to work from both directions to meet in the middle. I think, you know, just picking up on that point, you when we think about the hybrid working, what that's done for business is meant that we, we've now almost got this boundaryless business environment where the talent pool is much bigger because a lot of people are adopting remote first working, which is great, whether it's, um, but that means that you could have, you know, a, a manager based in France or a team based in South Africa or somebody the other side of the world. And actually what that means is that we get very different cultural um, awareness coming together in terms of how people interact. You know, I've worked with some um, organisations from the Netherlands in the, in the past, and they're very direct. And actually, you can interpret that as being rude if you come from a different culture. So as we get a multicultural business environment, the opportunity for misinterpretation is vast, unless we really understand more about the people that we're interacting with. And I think that's where behaviour is. Okay, so when somebody's saying, just do it. They're not being rude. They just want something done quite quickly. And it doesn't mean bullying behaviours. At the same time, telling somebody that they've got to have their camera on 24 hours a day and making sure that, it, you know, that they're ever present online, that might be misinterpreted or interpreted as micromanaging. And then you're into bullying. So it's, it's a big spectrum where we just need to be better at doing people stuff and understanding the impact yeah. of our behaviours. Yeah. You know yeah. that old chestnut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that is the reality, is it? We all need to be just better at doing people stuff. It's emotional <laughs> intelligence, know our people, um, yeah. and treat people as human beings, whatever yeah. the circumstances, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it goes full circle, I guess. So I guess we, we've kind of we, we probably should draw to a, a, a close here. Um, but the great thing is, so we've got uh, workplace bullying awareness week next week and uh, you guys i'm going to get you guys maybe to direct if anyone wants to know more about this they want to do something on bullying um you've got some useful resources on your website haven't you an infographic and things that you've got we can point people at yes um there's an infographic that talks about um kind of how to introduce all of this in your organization so you can download that from the consultancy page on our website which is um conduct change .co.uk um, so lots of information we do all sorts of webinars as well so those are always on our events page as well um, and I really would like to just mention for anti-bullying week in November as well um, the other part of our organization because we have a social purpose we have a charitable side which is um, 
very much about raising awareness and our fundraiser is actually through a conference which we run in anti-bullying week and that will take place between the 16th and 18th of November. Okay, so, so you've that's got a month to look up. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we've got an amazing set of speakers again. So um, look forward to seeing everybody there. Okay, so we'll make sure that all of those links are on the, the, this um, page for this episode on hruprising.com as one way. So we can go straight through to your infographic. And also if you people want to find out more about this conference in November. That's amazing. Thank you. Perfect. And there's also there's there's also an article on there that we've that we've published in September, which is called which certainly for organizations that are looking to improve their environmental, social, and governance footprint. There's lots of organizations are being reviewed in this way. Understanding what do we mean by the social impact of your organization? And we put a sort of 10 steps as to how to improve social impact and the human experience of the workplace. There's some really good little pointers in there that I, you know, people might just have some takeaways from that as well, which might be useful for them. Okay. That's on the website. Brilliant. Okay, so the links are all there. If you want to do something about it, it's perfect timing um, for, for um, next week's um, workplace bullying week. But then the, what's, what's, what is it again, the conference, the bullying day? What's it's the, anti-bullying week. So it's the UK anti-bullying week in November. Right. Okay, As so we're to the international one next week. Right. Okay, perfect. So we've got something for everybody um, and yeah. time to go into those. And obviously, I'm assuming people will put your LinkedIn um, connection. So if anyone wants to follow up with Nikki Eyre or Kathy Donaldson directly, then I'm sure you welcome LinkedIn connections as well. Absolutely. Lovely. Thank you so much for joining us on the HR Uprising um, podcast. That was really informative. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing more about this as the next months and weeks go on. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.